everybody. Welcome to the Let's Talk IS podcast. I am Brendan Piccione, the Outreach VP for the Information Systems Academy, and I'm joined with... Uh, I'm Mike Varnell, freshman representative, and we're here with... Uh, Jimmy McDermott, uh, BC 2021 and CTO of Transio. All right, Jimmy, really happy to have you here. I know a lot of alums are back this week, so it's great that you could carve out some time. Yeah, I appreciate being here. So you said CTO of Transio. What is Transio? Like, yeah, what are you absolutely. guys doing? What problem are you trying to solve with your platform? Go absolutely. Yeah, so Transio is a uh, what's called a life readiness educational technology company. We help students who are in the high school process and also even earlier than high school try and figure out what they want to do after they leave the K-12 educational system. So whether that may be something like a traditional pathway of college or something that currently might be considered an alternative pathway like uh, a full-time job, full-time internship, an apprenticeship for the trades, etc. So uh, we essentially take uh, all of the information that the student has provided about their interests and things that they care about, as well as actions that they've taken, like community service that they're a part of and the courses that they've taken, and use that to form a really holistic picture about what the student loves to do and how they might apply that uh, after they leave high school. Awesome. Uh, would you consider it somewhat of an academic form of LinkedIn? Yeah, like yeah, that? <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Actually, it's it definitely has some of that functionality where we're helping connect the students to the business partners, yeah. um, and so you know, helping the students also learn how to what does it mean to put together a good resume, what does it mean to show up dressed professionally to an interview, and, yes. and all that good kind of stuff. No, that's awesome. So you know, clearly the the idea there, the mission is there. How did you come up with it? Like, where did it start, and how has it changed to what it is today? Absolutely. So I'm lucky enough to have uh, two fantastic co-founders, one who is our CEO and has built an ed tech company before, also a former educator, um, and one who is our president um, and actually uh, kind of came up with this idea and is actually a sitting superintendent in the state of Illinois. And he came up with this idea, um, which actually started as solely a community service tracking platform. Mm -hmm. So we started as um, a system that would help students track and celebrate their community service because there's research that shows that the more community service you do in high school and the more engaged you are in your community, the more likely you are to be successful after high school, whatever that may be, college graduation, uh, keeping a job, whatever it, it may be. Um, so that's how we started. And then uh, over time, what ended up kind of happening is we discovered that that research that was driving our uh, our interest in our, our product that we were building in the community service space was actually applicable across a bunch of different areas in the educational kind of life cycle. Um, and at the same time, all of these legislative tailwinds coming out of D.C. were happening around what it means to define student readiness and mm -hmm. giving states the autonomy and the authority to define that based on their local communities and what they know best about their states. And so uh, Dave, who's our, our president, basically took a look at everything that was happening in the country and said, you know what, I think there's something more here. And so what we ended up doing is we pivoted to um, our community service product is still a, a part of what we do, um, but it's now a single product in a suite of many products that we offer. Um, we offer things like uh, college applications, graduation tracking, jobs and internships, activities and co-curriculars. Uh, so we're really trying to capture the full picture of what the student's doing outside of the purely the academic environment and how that really contributes deeply to the success of their post-secondary life. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, you know, you're, since, you know, they said suite of products, who's the main 
like who's buying the product? Is it schools? Is it students? Is it school boards and districts? Mm -hmm. How does that? Yeah, good question. So we sell directly to the school districts and then the school districts will purchase the software on a per student per year basis. Okay. So that can range anywhere from a few dollars per student all the way up to, you know, $15, $16 per student per year, depending on uh, all sorts of different factors, the size of the district, which products they've bought, um, any kind of strategic partnerships, et cetera. So, okay. um, but yeah, and then they implement it down with their students. Got it. Got it. Uh, that's all super interesting. And we'd like to know how does like, what is Transio's tech stack? Like the cloud platform, the language, the frameworks that you use? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we are hosted on Amazon web services. We actually started on Heroku and then, uh, which is a platform as a service and a bit easier to get spun up. Um, and then we, as we started growing and as we started having um, especially increased security kind of demands uh, from our partners, we moved over to Amazon uh, Web Services. And so um, we're all kind of configured within there. In terms of our tech stack, we are actually uh, Swift on the back end, uh, which traditionally Swift is used as an iOS application programming language. Uh, but Swift is actually getting a ton of support from Apple right now on the server side uh, type of, of programming and specifically around concurrent programming and highly available and distributed programming on the server. And so we've actually been involved in the uh, server-side Swift community for about four years now, um, both as a company and, and also myself, I've been in that community. And so we use that on our back end, uh, which is super fun and, and it's uh, super fast, super memory, memory efficient, um, also a bit non-traditional, right? It's not something you see every tech company yep. using by any means, and that has definitely influenced our hiring plans and, and all sorts mm -hmm. of things like that. But um, So that's the, the language, the framework uh, is called Vapor. It's a server-side Swift framework uh, written on top of Swift. Um, and then our front end is in React, um, which is, is relatively yeah. standard. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, when I, you know, I'm a TA for, you know, iOS and Swift, you know, you yeah. think of, you know, it is, you know, you think of Swift as the Apple language for Apple products, <laughs> and it's super interesting to see it branch out to server side you know i've been at companies where server side was java and c sharp yep the end, <laughs> right so super cool to see you know something new and something you know different just to spice Absolutely. it up and it's been interesting too to see that the the original server side swift movement kind of started as a third-party community driven effort um, it all happened because Apple open source Swift many years ago now, yeah. five or six years ago. And so um, that made it available on Linux, which is kind of the first step to making it available outside of just a, a sandboxed iOS environment. Yeah. Um, and the very first frameworks that came out um, are kind of the frameworks that are still around today in server-side Swift. And then I think Apple started taking note um, and then started pouring just tons of resources into creating their own open source libraries and their own frameworks to help support it. Um, or, you know, Apple also thinks many, many steps ahead of most of us. And so it's possible that that was kind of <laughs> their, the their plan all along. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. So, you know, like I said, Swift, iOS, I know you're a former TA, I'm a current <laughs> TA now. I know you have a lot of experience in iOS programming. Uh, what was your first app you ever built? Oh, that's a good question. So the first app I ever built uh, was my sophomore year of high school. So this was back in like 2014, maybe. Um, goodness. And I think it was a, so I was really into theater and acting at the time. Um, and the very first true app that I built, um, and looking back on it, it's, it's kind of funny. And I actually stumbled upon the code the other day, which is even funnier. But awesome. um, 
it's uh, it was an app that allowed casting directors for productions uh, to cast the show using kind of a almost like a CRM in the app, basically, and then posting the cast list through the app so that everybody could see it in the same place. Awesome. Everybody kind of gets a notification about who they've been cast as and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So um, never went anywhere, but it was all it was super fun to build. Taught me a lot about um, you know constructing an app and also working with. Uh, kind of people who were interested in using the technology for something to build that technology, right? I got to work with like my theater uh, teacher in high school to kind of shape it and yeah. uh, demo it and beta beta it and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. How do you, you know, people, you know, the base of programming, people start earlier and earlier and earlier now, you know, I know my brother just graduated from middle school and they're already doing hours of code starting in <laughs> yep. tech classes in kindergarten. So you know, back when you were a sophomore in high school, I feel like the tech community wasn't as pressing to get into those like younger years. How did you get into it originally since it wasn't so available at the time? Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually one of the kind of the primary reasons that uh, Transio is so important to me and the mission of what we're doing is so important is that I was really, really lucky that the administration at my high school and at my district uh, was kind of forward thinking and very innovative in the career and technical education that they offered. So my district actually went out to a uh, local development shop um, and a shop that would uh, like a boot camp essentially that would train adults to become coders and said, hey, you you train adults all the time. You can train high schoolers, right? Why not? Um, and so brought them into our district to kind of uh, teach this language and teach students how to do it. Um, and it was so successful for that external uh, group that they actually spun down their boot camp side of things and are now exclusively focused on providing that education to to high school students. So it definitely, I, it was right place at the right time for sure um, and, and very fortunate to kind of be exposed to that. And that's really what we're trying to do at Transio is to take that experience that I had and allow it to be scalable across, you know, many, many hundreds of thousands or millions of students uh, that we work with to um, you know, really impact their lives in the same way it impacted mine. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I know my high school was one of the first to pilot uh, the AP CS principles exam. Oh, sure. Yep. And, you know, we were one of three schools in New York City, and now it's a nationwide exam. So totally. It, it's definitely a, a growing market and a growing opportunity to start educating people as young as possible. Absolutely. Uh, you know, going into your college experience, you know, what support did you get from BC in terms of growing Transio? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I am 100% convinced that Transio would not be where it is if I didn't have uh, the support, you know, from, mm -hmm. from BC. Uh, and, and that came in a lot of different factors in a lot of different ways. Uh, Professor John Gallagher in the Information Systems Department was um, absolutely pivotal, maybe, maybe one of the most pivotal people in my entire four years here at Boston College and the way that um, he influenced my thinking about design and products and business and thinking about the market um, and, and how to build something that people want, right, and how to build um, something that the market will actually use. So he was extremely influential um, in the, the development of Transio. And then also, I, I call it kind of the, the BC Mafia, right? There's the, everybody's, everybody that is a BC alum or a current BC member, whoever they may be, however they're connected to BC, they just want to help, right? Absolutely. And I feel so grateful that uh, BC does such a great job tapping you into those networks whenever you want to get into them. So I, I mean, just people kind of in the surrounding startup communities that are BC alumni or BC affiliated, um, and, and far too many to name, but <laughs> who have all been helpful in, in various ways. And so that's been um, absolutely 
outstandingly helpful for me. And then um, also the the Shea Center on campus has mm-hmm. been great. Um, the Shea Center always served as just an amazing kind of clearinghouse of ideas for students and alumni who are interested in, in learning those ideas, sharing their ideas, starting businesses. And so always kind of being surrounded by that um, was super helpful in the way that we were thinking about building the business. And I was able to kind of take those learnings and bring them back to our team um, for, you know, debate and iteration and um, mm-hmm. trying to execute on them. And so, um, yeah, BC has played a, an extremely formative role in my life um, and also in, in the life of Transio. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, dude, that's really interesting about uh, John Gallagher because I'm reading his um, book right now. I have it on my computer up. The yes. Information Systems of Managers yeah. Guide to that. And I can <laughs> see where you're coming from about how, like, the ideas in there about forming a business, what people want, how Definitely. to like, like capitalize on all the technology is all there. So then going on from after BC, what did your like first tech projects look like leading up to kind of becoming a co-founder of this Transio company? Yeah, definitely. So um, I actually, uh, Transio was was founded about four years ago, right as I was a freshman entering uh, BC. So I worked on Transio kind of throughout my time here at BC. And then uh, since I graduated, have been doing that full time. Um, but then throughout my time at BC, especially before uh, we raised our first round of funding and before Transio became, um, you know, really real for lack of a better yeah. term, you know, and, and not just kind of a, a fun side project that we were doing. Um, you know, I would definitely still build some stuff for friends here or there or people that were looking for, you know, specific types of applications um, that they needed to deploy. And so was always trying to hone those skills, um, especially around kind of client development and relationships. And um, that's definitely served me well as we've continued to expand um, our, our Transio base. But um, yeah, mostly it, it was Transio, and especially after we started getting, again, you know, quote unquote, real <laughs> with it um, and, and started having full time members and more and more districts using it, then it became kind of my primary focus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you spoke about, you know, getting funding and getting off the ground and becoming real. You know, I'm <laughs> sure that's scary process to, you know, Definitely. get there, but super rewarding at the end now that you're, you know, you're here. But what was that like, you know, speak to like, the general, you know, vibe of like taking it from something yeah. that you're working on in school to what it is now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we made it in the early days and even now to some extent, like we made every mistake you possibly could make when, when starting a startup, right? And um, everything from legal and, you know, bootstrapping mistakes all the way to product and business mistakes, just everything in between, right? And so that experience uh, was incredibly informative um, as we look to bring in additional funds and additional team members um, as we were able to kind of look back and retrospectively say, okay, we know what went wrong there, right? And now we can fix it in this way if we were to have an additional X amount of dollars, right? Whatever that may be. So that was kind of how we originally started approaching it. Um, And then from there, as we started painting that vision and as more and more districts started coming aboard, um, we were very lucky to find uh, some angel investors who had a strong conviction uh, in our team and also in the problem that we were solving and a deep passion for what we're trying to do for students. And so um, they were uh, incredibly supportive in our earliest believers, right, and, and put money kind of behind that. And so that's what enabled us to hire our very first full-time people, mm-hmm. bring some of our existing uh, part-time people on board full-time, um, and, uh, you know, really just start to scale from there. From there, And that was about two and a half years ago now, maybe almost three years, actually. Um, and as we, were, as we were doing that, 
that was kind of the beginning of us starting to see something much bigger in the market, right? And so even thinking back, um, those investors had such a strong conviction, and I'm so grateful for that conviction before we had even really discovered what this market really was, right? And so um, every day I'm kind of I'm grateful for their forward thinking and their ability to kind of see what we were still trying to uncover. Uh, and then from there, we spent about two and a half years um, growing the team kind of off of those funds, um, made it up to, you know, X number of districts and all sorts of team members. I think um, by the time we started raising our next round, we were at maybe eight full time people um, and then just recently um, raised some more money as well. Um, and so now we're actually at uh, about 26 employees um, and, and continuing to grow. So um, that's kind of, you know, that uh, a very compressed history, yeah. <laughs> leaving out lots of failures in the middle there. Of but, course. Um, yeah. <laughs> and how many school districts are you currently in? Yeah, so we are uh, very lucky to be in, in hundreds of school districts across the country uh, in about uh, 22 or 23 different states. Um, and all sorts of uh, different types of districts, right? So rural and urban, small and large, wealthy and not wealthy, um, and kind of all of the mixes of those things. And, yeah. Um, so that, that's been really exciting for us to be able to um, accommodate all of those different needs. And there's no, like, particular distribution? Like, you wouldn't see yourself being more popular in cities, like big cities or more rural areas is pretty even across the board? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a really great question. I think... You know, when you when we were first starting out, we would take money from whoever would give it to us, right? Um, as you kind of kind of have to. Uh, but now, as we've continued to grow and we've settled at at a really steady clip of new districts coming in, we're definitely starting to see that the product um, the product is definitely applicable to to districts of any size. But it's more applicable and more powerful the more students you have in it, yeah. um, because the data that you can glean from it is is more valuable um, at kind of scale as opposed to you know we have some districts that use it with um, like alternative education programs for example and that might be fifty students right mm -hmm. but then we have some districts that use it with hundred thousand students and that's its own kind of adventure right and so over time I think we'll continue to see that the vast majority of our contracts will shift towards the upper ends of the districts um, larger urban types of schools. Um, and especially even just districts that are maybe even in suburbs that have, you know, tens of thousands of students. We've, we work with quite a few of those as well. So um, I think that's, that's where we'll continue to shift. Mm -hmm. To kind of switch topics a little bit, what is your day-to-day -day as a co-founder of a company and the CTO? Yeah, definitely. So it's changed recently, and I'm actually grateful for the way in which it's changed. Uh, for about four years, or maybe a little less than four years, essentially up until we raised this last round of funding a few months ago, um, I was one of the only developers, um, and if not the only developer, wow. um, for a large portion of that, right? And so there was, um, I was kind of juggling both the co-founder and the leadership responsibilities, as well as the technical and servers and all of that responsibility, and, and to a large extent, the kind of product responsibilities as well, right? And that's not a, um, that's not like a badge of honor or anything. It's just kind of what you do in a startup, right? It's yep. everybody wears a gazillion hats, and until you've got the funds to, to hire divisions, like it doesn't, doesn't make sense to try and split it out, right? Um, so for a long time, that was kind of my day-to-day. -day. I would code during the day and then do, you know, leadership or company stuff at night or vice versa. Um, but I was essentially working 
you know, two eight-hour shifts each day, <laughs> one on the on the coding and development side and one on the um, kind of company side of things. And so, um, and then as we grew more on that company side of thing became more of the client support side of things, listening to customers. Um, so now though, now that we've got our funding, um, I've been very lucky to be able to hire um, a whole team of developers. So that's been, um, has radically changed the way that my days are spent. Yeah. Um, for the better, definitely. <laughs> and um, I, I don't write much code, if any code, really anymore. Um, I spend most of my day uh, helping our developers, training them up, and doing a lot of kind of uh, growth on the development team and, and helping people kind of grow their career and grow their skills. Um, and then also tons of recruiting. Um, I actually just wrapped up our last round of recruiting, so that's been a little quieter now. But um, for a while there, while you're recruiting, you're kind of in the thick of it, and you've got all sorts of interviews kind of all day, every day. Um, and then on top of that, still balancing more of the kind of company growth aspect, right? So now that we've got money, true, real money to kind of pour fuel on the fire and continue to grow, um, there's all sorts of kind of strategic um, decisions that need to be made about how that money is going to be allocated. And those decisions have all sorts of downstream effects on these different departments that we've established now, right? Previously, I was the one doing both development and product. Now we've got between the two development and product divisions that we've established, uh, like seven people working on those things, right? And so the decision about whether or not to hire somebody in that department needs to kind of take into account, well, what will that do to the velocity of the development team? Is that going to create more work for them? Is it going to create more refactoring as opposed to new features, right? And so I'm, I'm definitely involved on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of thinking through those decisions and trying to understand um, and, and uh, trying to predict to a certain extent, because there's no great answer to this, but trying to predict um, how will those resource allocations change kind of the dynamics of the teams that I'm responsible for. Um, and then finally, I think the, the final component of what I do is still continuing to talk to customers and hearing um, about things that they're interested in and things that they like and don't like about the platform and how we can support them better. Um, that has shifted to a much smaller portion of my day-to-day, -day, uh, but it's definitely something that I personally still enjoy quite a lot because I think hearing how customers are using the platform to support their students um, and trying to understand how we can do it even better is something that's really important to like my customer empathy, for example, or uh, my empathy for how our development team is going to build certain features and, and definitely translating that kind of into the leadership of that team. And so... Um, that definitely still takes up uh, a bit of my day as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, like developers and finally having a team around you. Uh, do you have any advice for people trying to build a project from scratch like you did that is scalable and robust enough to grow? Since you did do it from scratch yourself, you know, <laughs> you've yeah. gone through the trials and tribulations. Definitely. You know, I think that there's a, a large misconception that if you have an idea, the first step that you have to do is find somebody else to build it. Um, and I think to a certain extent, depending on what you're trying to build, like if, you, if your idea is to build self-driving cars, you should probably go find, <laughs> you know, an expert in self-driving cars. And that's, that's all fine. But if your idea is to build, you know, an app or a website that people on campus are going to use or uh, somebody in your local network is going to use or you're close, you know, even tangentially to the customer that you're trying to get to use your product. I think there's an immense amount of value in trying to build some of that product yourself. Um, every day, the, the bar for being able to code a platform like that drops another inch, mm -hmm. right? There are no code tools out there that make it really easy to rapidly iterate and um, work on a product. I actually just saw 
the other day a job posting for a startup for a no-code engineer, wow. which I thought was super interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, there are, there are whole companies out there that are being built on no or low code platforms. And so the ability, even, even if that doesn't become your final product, but just the ability to get something out there quickly and validate an idea is something that didn't exist, or at least wasn't nearly as popular when we were starting. Right. And so Mm -hmm. again, that bar just keeps getting lower and lower. So I would definitely encourage, um, you know, a certain amount of kind of grit on the technical side. Um, of really trying to work through, is it possible for me to try and get something off the ground before I have to go try and find an expert? Um, because frankly, experts are expensive, right? And there's, <laughs> so if you, can, if you can avoid that, and especially like we had zero money uh, that we were working with for uh, almost two years, you know, as a company. And so we had to make a lot of those kind of decisions and, and strategic allocations as well. So I totally get it. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my primary advice. Yeah, no, definitely echo the, the low code, you know, vibe of, you know, becoming, you know, growing a platform now, every new programming language and framework that comes out, you're simply just layering upon the last one to make it more accessible, more human readable and human accessible. So I like that visual visual too. It's yeah, it's just layers upon layers. And if you can identify the layer at which your skill set matches, right, you don't need to go lower, you don't need to go higher. If you could just find that layer, like you're, you're going to be set again, at least for the first version to, to do some validation. Yeah, and you know, I think as a CS student at BC and an IS student, I think you know I've been exposed to everything from you know x86 assembly to <laughs> uh, you know Swift and R, which are right. pretty high level high languages. Level, yeah. So definitely, you know, finding that niche in there is something that you know I think a lot of CS students, people who are tech focused, you know, would definitely be well served to do. Absolutely, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right, so thank you so much for coming on today. You know, this is our first podcast of the semester of the year, and it's really great to have, you know, fresh BC alum who's been working on something for so long and finally, you know, getting it to come to fruition and, you know, getting some funding, getting it out to school districts. It's been really great hearing your story and how you've built it up. So, no, I appreciate thanks. that. Thanks for having me and uh, always happy to chat. Awesome. So this has been Let's Talk IS with. Brendan and Mike, and stay tuned for the next one next semester. All right, see ya.